Hello and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. I am James Burney, a financial services and fintech partner at Garner Cook. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Laurie Stein, a partner who co-leads the digital assets and blockchain group at Canadian law firm Osler, Hoskin & Harker, LLP. Hi Laurie, it's great to have you on. Hi James, thanks for having me. Great to be here. So I think one of the only questions everyone always is interested in when they start looking at different jurisdictions is the general attitude of, of regulators towards the space because you see quite a large variety in different jurisdictions. What would you say has kind of been the attitude of Canadian regulators to blockchain and crypto asset type activities to date? I think that our regulators have investor protection concerns around digital assets. Uh, this is really on the securities regulatory side. But at the same time, they recognize that Canadian investors want exposure to those assets and they want to be involved in the innovations that are happening in the digital economy. So our regulators are trying to find a way to allow Canadian retail investors to access digital investments in a safer way. And examples of that are the public investment funds that have been approved in Canada, as well as the new initiative to regulate crypto asset trading platforms as securities dealers. And on the money laundering side, our money, our AML regime was amended in 2018 to introduce a virtual currency dealer category of money services business, which also reflects a recognition that investors and, and people like retail people in Canada want to buy crypto and it's better off having a regulatory regime on the money transmission side that allows them to do that and, and so that they can do it through through a regulated entity rather than you know uh, seeking out opportunities offshore or through unregulated intermediaries. And, and I think just because I think a lot of people sort of incorrectly in, in the UK have lumped the US and Canada sometimes together on the regulatory side of things. And there's a lot of talk, of course, around the SEC, which tends to take sometimes quite an aggressive approach towards certain forms of blockchain crypto activities. Would you, how would you say that kind of can the Canadian regulators compare in their approach kind of versus the more US type regulators? Is it is there a sort of similarity between the two or is, should you be treating them as completely separate? That's a really good question. There are some similarities and some differences. And the, the key similarity is that the, the Howey test was the U.S. Supreme Court decision that came out in the late 1940s, and then it was adopted by the Canadian Supreme Court in the Pacific Coast decision. And that's the test that says if there's an investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profits, primarily based on the efforts of others, we have a security. And that's really what's led to um, the focus on crypto as creating securities regulatory risk and investor protection risks in across North America. And if you look at the Canadian guidance that came out um, in 2017 and 2018 that applies that Howey test to digital assets, it's very, very similar to what the SEC set out within the Dow report in 2017. Um, the difference is that since that time, the SEC, I think, has been quite a bit more aggressive than 
the Canadian securities regulators in enforcing that doctrine. And I'm specifically referring to like the, the kick community, the kick interactive um, action and more recently the ripple XRP action, which is still, you know, being decide being uh, bought out in the courts. In Canada, we there haven't been such large, high-profile regulatory actions against uh, crypto asset issuers or intermediaries. But I also think that um, in Canada, there has been a more conservative approach taken by the developers and the intermediaries. So less less crypt, less risky crypto has been. Um, you know, put up for sale. And so there hasn't been as much regulatory action in response to that. Um, just generally, Canadians tend to be more conservative, so they'd be more likely to go ask the regulator for permission before marketing something that's questionable. And then the regulator would say, no, we don't think so. We think that's a security. Whereas in the U.S., I think the more entrepreneurial spirit leads uh, leads entrepreneurs to just give it a try and see what happens and and sort of so the it's a bit more dramatic there but ultimately when the dust settles a lot of the outcomes are very similar um, one other uh, comment on that is that the Ontario Securities Commission in particular but I think that the Canadian securities regulators more generally do look at what's happening at the SEC and south of the border when they're forming their own policy because um, the market, the North American market is quite, um, I don't want to say homogenous, but it's, it, it, there are lots, lots of consistency. So the OSC doesn't want to, doesn't want to do something that's dramatically different than what's happening in the U.S. But at the same time, when our laws are different than theirs, they lead to different outcomes. And the best example of that is the fact that under our mutual fund rules, um, the, we were, there have been, you know, multiple closed end funds and now exchange traded funds holding Bitcoin and Ether that have been approved for distribution to the public in Canada, where, whereas the way that the SEC rules work with exchange traded funds, um, the, the burden of proof or the onus for getting those funds approved is on the issuer in order to uh, make a, a public interest argument that the rules of the exchange should be amended. And as a result, um, they, the, the SEC hasn't approved uh, an ETF in the U.S. There's more sort of discretion at the SEC and, and the burden of proof is on the applicant instead of it being on, you know, the commission staff if they don't want to do something. So sometimes the, the regulatory framework is different and it does lead to pretty different outcomes. Well, that, that's very interesting. I think, you know, particularly given the nature of the industry, I think one of the things to be determined is kind of which sorts of projects work best in which sorts of jurisdiction. Is there any particular type of project you think is particularly well suited for, for the Canadian regulatory system? I, I hear you talking about funds, but also other other things where actually the Canadian system is particularly well built for that type of project? Um, well, I mean, so the funds were the, the first obvious example for sure. And that's and you can see that we have this this interesting and robust uh, market for these crypto asset ETFs in Canada. Now, because the securities regulators have also um, come out with a framework for regulating the digital at crypto asset trading platforms as securities dealers, and that framework contemplates uh, an interim period of two years 
where the sort of the registration regime is a little bit higher level. And then ultimately, these platforms will end up being regulated by IROC, which is the self-regulatory organization in Canada that's analogous to FINRA. So the rules will get more prescriptive. But right now, the idea is that these platforms are going to come into the regulatory umbrella. And the way that our regulators are looking to protect investors when they're trading crypto on a regulated platform, a platform that's regulated as a dealer and possibly as a marketplace under securities laws, is that the regulator is saying, okay, platform, we expect you to do product due diligence on these crypto assets that you want to list and offer to Canadians. So it's going to be the onus is going to be on the platform to have a due diligence process that considers things like whether the crypto asset is a security on the basis of those Howey test-like factors, and also looks at things like you know market cap and trading volume and um, um, the reputation of the of the founding team, all kinds of other the maturity of the network, the utility of the token, all of the things that go into an analysis of of whether or not a crypto asset um, is should be invested in and and whether or not it's it's a security. The the regulators are empowering platforms to adopt processes for looking at cryptos, making decisions, and listing them. And therefore, investors are going to have access to a pretty wide array of crypto assets um, through regulated platforms. And just to give an example, the first regulated platform um, that has already received this this type of of registration is is Wealth Simple Crypto. They just got their order in um, late June, June 18th to be specific. And since they got their order, they've added a whole bunch of new crypto assets to their platform because they now have this discretion to be exercised responsibly. And they, you know, they have an experienced team that are licensed under securities laws. And they're looking at the products, they're making this determination and they're offering the products. And I think we're going to see that more and more as more of these crypto platforms become regulated. Um, so that means that investors in Canada are going to have access to a lot of tokens and buying them on a, you know through a regulated registered uh, securities dealer, which I think is a pretty unique. I think that Canada is one of the first global jurisdictions that has actually put together a framework for regulating these platforms as dealers. So um, I, to me, it, it's quite exciting because it is giving retail investors the opportunity to invest through a regulated channel. That, that's really interesting. I think one of the things which also interests people listening is the question of, you know, when, when you're, when you've got services, you might be based outside of Canada, you want to sell those into Canada. Do you have any advice for people looking to do that in terms of, you know, whether you should go via one of these platforms or whether there are particular sort of disclosures or registrations or the like that people should do just because you've got Canadian, you're, you're dealing with a, a local Canadian market, even if you're not a Canadian firm yourself? So, I mean, I think with it, with, when we're talking about the platforms, the the types of products that they're going to be offering are, mo- are going to be cryptos that are, I think, already listed on, you know, a number of, of global exchanges, although it is entirely possible that, um, you know, 
that our platforms can start taking more of a leadership role in listing tokens. But of course, because the, the criteria, this know your product criteria that they're expected to adopt really is investor protection focused, there is good, there's gonna be a concern about you know, liquidity and, and market cap and making sure that the tokens are not securities. So when we're talking about you know, earlier stage products um, or developers that are at an earlier stage and also products that are more focused on things like decentralized finance or staking, things like that, that are still a little bit more innovative. Um, you know, there certainly is an opportunity to offer those products in Canada, and 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 even even in situations where the products might be considered securities, we do have you know a private placement regime here, and we have lots of uh, exemptions from the prospectus requirement that are available to different kinds of, of investors or, or clients or customers of these types of projects. Um, and you know, the pro if the project sees interest or um, demand in Canada, because there's a pretty robust industry up here and they're, um, th that are doing all different things, they, should, they can get regulatory advice and, and they can offer those, they can get a, a view and an opinion on whether or not their product is a security. And if it is, they they can go down a path and they can still offer that product, um, you know, in accordance with the private placement rules. And if it's not, then, you know, if it's more of like a commercial product or a software product, then it can get offered in that way, potentially sort of under the consumer protection regime. That's very helpful. And I think just final question, just because the regulatory world keeps changing around crypto. Are there any future developments in, in Canada which people should be aware of um, in, in, which relate to either blockchain or crypto? Well, you're absolutely right that it's changing all the time. Um, and one one thing that is a really recent development is OSFI, which is our prudential regulator, our, our banking and, and the regulator of our banks, trust companies, insurance companies, etc. They just came out with a, an, they just announced that they're going to be doing a public consultation into crypto and uh, stable coins. And, and for the first time, they really are, they, they've been looking at it before and they've, they've been exploring sort of a set, uh, or the Bank of Canada has been exploring a, a, a centrally banked digital, uh, digital currency like, like many others. But this, this new OSPI consultation announcement is the first time that OSPI seems to be looking directly at crypto and their the consultation is really directed towards existing Canadian financial institutions um, that may or may not be considering supporting crypto, you know, offering deposit accounts that hold crypto or custody accounts. So that is also, from my perspective, a good development because we've been waiting for especially the prudential regulator to start catching up to this. We have a situation in Canada where up until very recently, there are no, there haven't been any licensed digital asset custodians in Canada because um, our prudential regulators just hadn't been focusing on it. Um, over the past six months or so, we've seen one um, bank offering a product that is a crypto sort of custody type of product, a small, a small bank, but, but nonetheless, it, it was a big step there called VersaBank. And then more recently than that, um, we just the the Alberta Alberta just approved a trust company that is really focused on crypto, which is called Tetra Trust Company, and that's new and exciting because it's going to allow Canadians to hold crypto assets in a custody account in Canada. Um, it, 
as opposed to you know, in order to get a regulated custodian, most investors need to need to look south of the border. And if you look at, for example, the way that our public funds are set up, they have a Canadian custodian, but then that custodian sub custodies the crypto piece down to Gemini because Gemini's got a great license and a great reputation and everybody's comfortable with Gemini. Um, but, you know, it would be nice to have a Canadian solution. And now it looks like we do. Um, so, so I think that th those those are pretty recent developments, and we we are interested to see how that rolls out, and and you know the extent to which it get, there's take up for using some of these Canadian solutions. That that's really interesting. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. If anyone has any questions or would like to reach out to Laurie, her email is l stein s t e i n at osler o s l e r dot com. Lloyd, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. Really interesting. Thank you. Thanks, James. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Gunnar Cook has a market-leading blockchain, crypto assets and DeFi team, providing legal advice across the whole of the blockchain ecosystem. Our members have been heavily involved in helping shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets from the start, meaning that we have an intuitive understanding of our clients' needs and can provide focused, pragmatic advice at predictable cost. For more information, please visit our website. Thank you again.